Welcome back to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I am your host and co-founder, Aaron Brightman, coming to you on the night that Noah Fernandes, UMass transfer, committed to Rutgers basketball, huge addition for the program, and there was no better person that I wanted to talk to and get insight on his time at UMass and find out more about what Rutgers is getting than Curry Hicks-Siege, longtime UMass fan, and uh, really the best source on Twitter for UMass basketball, and want to welcome him in now. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the introduction. So, obviously, uh, you know, big news today with Noah Fernandes going to Rutgers. A lot to unpack. First, I just kind of wanted to ask you in terms of the process of him leaving UMass. uh, I'm sure you've had some time to kind of process that that news um, and your kind of take on him leaving and and taking that next step now in his last season uh, in terms of searching to play for a high major. Yeah, always knew it was a possibility, especially once Matt McCall was fired um, at the culmination of the 2021-2022 season and Frank Martin came in. I just think that in general, it's not at all uncommon, particularly in this era with the portal, uh, for guys to, you know, go under a new coach and it's just, it's just, you know, they, they decide, you know, it's, it's not their guy and they play a little differently. And I don't think that was totally at play here necessarily, but it certainly contributed. I mean, he, he wasn't recruited to come here to play under Frank Martin. And I think as we, we see it tons of places, there's no harm in that. And um, given that I believe he's graduated, um, you know, and had three, three solid years here, um, after after one at Wichita, which also interestingly, I think that was the year there that ended with um, when Greg Marshall left. So, uh, you know, around all that controversy. So he's he's kind of been on the short end of two coaching changes in his career. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, given his one year of eligibility remaining, it's not really surprising that he's that he's taking his talents to. Uh, Central Jersey. So in terms of that, you know, this past season, obviously he only played 11 games. He had that ankle injury, kept him out the last two months of the season. Um, in ter- You know, the year before he had a tremendous year uh, just um, in terms of uh, his uh, his role le- leading UMass and, you know, points, assists, uh, steals. I was, I think, 37th nationally in assist rate that year. W- what was what was really kind of his evolution as a player at UMass? And um, I guess how much did his role or kind of uh, the way he was utilized transition at all from, from McCall to to Martin? Well, to some extent, Noah was used a little bit differently in all three of his seasons. And partly that was a function of his first year, the team only played 15 games because of the COVID year. So, um, and that year they had a pretty uh, dynamic, uh, freshman point guard who was kind of a kid named Javon Garcia who showed flashes struggled at other times but you know as freshmen do but Noah played a little bit off the ball that year they both played point guard but it was at times it was a little bit of like a either could bring the ball up and that was intriguing at at times and I actually really liked Noah off the ball I, I think we could get more into it I think you know to assume that he's just because of his height um that he's just a, sort of a pure point guard um, is kind of inaccurate. I think Noah, it, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see whether 
Heichel will put him in actions where he can kind of get downhill um, and, you know, create off the dribble, which he can do. And uh, rather than just kind of uh, creating one-on-one out in the half court as a, in a sort of more traditional point guard dynamic. Um, so I would just note, going back to your original question, pardon the digression, that the for the first year he played a little bit of both. Um, and then the second year he was very much, that was McCall's last year and he was very clearly the best player on that team. And he was kind of a ball dominant point guard because he had to be and a high volume shooter and scorer um, who shot the ball a lot uh, on a team that, you know, didn't really have much in terms of post presence and played a lot of four out stuff and Noah was just kind of able to cook. And I think, um, you know, McCall was cool with that. Garcia played a lot less that year for a variety of reasons. Um, but that was like the, the Noah, Noah as the guy year, if you will. And then this year, Noah was kind of the guy at the, in the early going, but, the, but Frank Martin had brought in a good deal of, Uh, talent and they were and the way Frank Martin tends to play his teams tend to play like really at at the beginning of the year you know 10 11 guys nobody really get I think Noah did lead the team in minutes when he was playing at just shade over 30 Um, but he you know they had a kid named Matt Cross from uh, who transferred from Louisville and a really good freshman who's now himself since transferred out they had a lot of pieces who were kind of in the eight to 13 range, Noah being the leader, but it was a little less um, the, the Noah show, which it was definitely his final, the final year under McCall. There was, there was more balance on the roster, at least at the point Noah was healthy. So he had his moments um, and definitely was the leader when he was healthy, but then he endured a really bad ankle sprain, tried to come back, um, played a bit and then shut it down again for good. So he really only played, you may have alluded to it, I can't recall, but I don't know, 11, maybe 13 games in total for the year. Uh, so I would say that, and, and his first year at UMass during the pandemic year, he played only, you know, the team only played 15 games. So we only got one true full year of Noah, but then in sort of half a year, half of two other years, we saw slightly different Noah's regardless. Um so I, I think it'll be just an interesting to so so it's not to say that his game evolved. I just think we saw different iterations of Noah Fernandez throughout his career based on a variety of circumstances, coaches, injuries, pandemics, style of play, and all the rest. That that's very interesting because um just you know, speaking of the situation that he's now going into at Rutgers, you know, I do I, I really like his addition, because I, I think that the backcourt now has a lot of versatility. They're all different. You know, um, Cam Spencer is, you know, a knockdown shooter, uh, you know, better defensively than I expected, but, you know, just a natural shooter, uh, elite. Uh, then you have Derek Simpson, who, you know, really could get downhill at the end. He's, he's a little bit taller, 6'3", um, but still learning, you know, not as efficient near the rim and, and needs to uh, develop a jump shot. Where I feel like Fernandes, you know, just with the two of those guys, I feel like the three of them could really work well together and and offer different strengths that 
could kind of make them all better, if that makes sense, in terms of how they kind of play off of each other. Yeah, I have seen some Rutgers. Um, I'll be candid. The offense there became difficult to watch for me at a certain point this past year. Um, <laughs> difficult and- for, for, for everyone. I would text uh, Danny Breslauer, who I'm sure you know, and at times and say, like, I, I just can't watch this right now. I, I said that <laughs> during – I recall saying that during the Michigan game. And let's be f- clear, um, UMass was not exactly, um, you know, the Frank Martin kind of two bigs plotting, you know, late 90s style. That's not really fair. They play, they play fast at times. But it's not exactly like, you know – we were running the, the the most spectacular offense in the world, and yet <laughs> I tuned into a couple of those Rutgers games, and I was like, <laughs> I got I got to turn this off, man. Um, but no, I mean, I I think that Noah will help any offense flow, right? Yeah. However you want to define that, and he can create off the dribble. He can he can score it. I'm really intrigued by him playing in the in different in in in, at Rutgers because and not being the not having to be the guy because I think Noah is at his best when he's a little bit more efficient can catch and shoot doesn't have to go off Noah will find a seam and 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 he he can he can be a spectacular one-on-one take game takeover scorer but I actually like his game more when he's just like when he's just a, when he could just catch and, and bury a three or go off the dribble. Um, it'll be just really interesting to see how, how you guys use him because there, you can use him a lot of different ways despite his size um, off, on the offensive end. Well, that's what's intriguing about him to me. And, and, and you know, you were talking about uh, in terms of how he kind of played within the, the UMass offense. And like, I look at him just from film I've watched I feel like, you know, he, he's, he's the kind of guy that can make something out of nothing, you know, in terms of when the offense breaks down, you know, he can create something, either he create a shot for himself or he can find to, he can create space for teammates. And he just seems like the kind of guy that, that is exactly what a stagnant Rutgers offense, you know, last year they, they, when, you know, they needed a spark. He feels like he's that he's to me. He just pops off the screen for, for, as a Rutgers fan to see just the bounce he plays with and um, how he's just constantly, uh, you know, he, his action. He's constantly active and just the motions that he, how quick he is with the ball um, and how much how hard he works to get shots off. It's just, uh, I for, for for me, I'm super excited to see him play. He's a great competitor. He's a great kid. Um, he he loves the ball in in big moments. I would love to see a data point on this. I don't know if you quantify it, but can quantify. It, but I'm sure you can. But there was a number of games, particularly this past season when he was playing, where it felt like he scored so many more points in the second half once teams had a little bit of foul trouble, because he kind of is one of those guys who. He can he'll, he'll some it feels like he he sometimes will will take kind of he'll look for a seam and finally find it and exploit it and when teams are in foul trouble he becomes really really hard to guard because there's a lot of like kind of subtle dipsy do up fakes that 
draw guys a little off balance and he'll get to the line. And when teams can't foul and, you know, when they're in their tougher spot down the stretch, it feels like that's when he's really at his best because if you give him space, um, he's really hard to stop. Uh, you know, I do think probably earlier in games in particular, but and this will be true, more true in the Big Ten, teams are going to try to body him and, 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 and impose physicality on him. And there will be times where, you know, especially when teams aren't in foul trouble, that, that that will probably pose some challenges. But once the game opens up a little, Noah can be a real takeover guy. Um, I mean, he single-handedly, in one of the better performances I've seen in some time, the final game of Matt McCall's tenure, which was the quarterfinals against Dayton in 2022, Noah finished with like 27. It felt like you had had about 40. And... I don't know how many were in the second half against a really good Dayton team. And U- UMass was like just so thoroughly outmanned in terms of talent in that game. And Noah just single-handedly play after play. Like you felt like you were watching Trey Young for a moment. You know, he can have those performances for sure. And Dayton, that Dayton team had, you know, was very comparable, I think, to a middle of the pack Um Big Ten team, and I don't think he'll be phased by that at all. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta 10, you know, is uh, really, uh, I think, balanced league. And, and um, I, you know, I was, I, I did a reaction earlier today and I was comparing the fact that, there, you know, there is precedent for really small, uh, quick guards that come from, you know, and, and obviously the A 10 is a mid major, but, you know, Mike Smith came from Columbia. Uh, 5'11", and, you know, really was a huge difference maker for Michigan a couple years ago. Um, You know, obviously Tyson Walker from Northeastern, now at Michigan State. So Noah, to me, you know, is is kind of coming with even more experience than those guys had. Uh, And, you know, he's a grad transfer, but also just he's excelled in a tougher league. And I feel like his uh, he just brings a ton of experience. And he seems like a very high IQ type of player that, you know, we kind of touched on and how he can learn how to, he, he can find the weakness in the second half and how to break teams down. Uh, well said, you know, he's a really good kid. He's, um, he's, he's, he's very well liked by everyone at UMass. I think most of the fan, you know, you always have a couple fans who, I think the fans are a little bit relieved that he didn't sign at, um, <laughs> that he didn't sign at Boston college. That was, that was, <laughs> A real relief. So I think, and there's a, you know, um, I, I mean, I'll definitely, I, I live in New York city, so I'll, I'll definitely get, get to the, I, I plan to get to the rack next year. Really nice family. Um, he just had a kid uh, with, I think she's a, she was a UMass cheerleader and they were kind of like, you know, they were well-known around campus and well-liked and involved and, you know, like he, he's a, he's a Pykele type of dude, I think in terms of his character. Um, and, I think you guys will like him a lot uh, as as a fan base. And I think, um, you know, Noah, I think he loves to win. And I think, you know, there were some different things that UMass that made that a little challenging in his time here. And I think he'll he'll be ready to go. I also think he'll be, by that point, I think at this point he probably is close to full full strength. Um, you know, so I, th- I think you guys, you know, there's probably some durability concerns given his injuries over the years. But I don't think you guys have to play him 
33 minutes, you know, and that will benefit him. And I think he can actually put up comparable numbers in 20, 22, 23 minutes as he did in 33. And I think that will actually allow him to be even more effective defensively because he won't have to bear that load on the offensive end at Rutgers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, he's he's a pretty efficient player, you know, offensive rating anywhere from 1-9 to one twelve the last three years. And that would definitely be towards the high side on Rutgers from what the, for what they've had uh, in recent years. And um, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Peichel works the rotation. Uh, obviously, you know, some more decisions coming. And, and Paul Mulcahy, I, I think, you know, if you had to guess right now, I'd say he is going to return, but we don't know for sure. But I think the four of them, they all, you know, they give, they give, I think they'll be tough for opponents to prepare for because I think that they can all find their spots and all have big moments. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, they're going to play closer to 25, you know, maybe close to 30, but that's also been a big problem with Rutgers is that especially this year, all their starters are playing 32, 33 minutes and they just, they just wore down at the end. And I think that that's also kind of part of the plan is having a backcourt where they can really rotate and keep them fresh. And uh, I think, yeah, 25 to 30 minutes between, you know, it's going to be definitely riding the hot hand in certain games, but I think it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, they're all kind of utilized together. And and I, I think, yeah, he seems like a guy that can, is smart enough and kind of effective enough in his skill set that he could still be a big factor, even if he's playing less minutes. I think he may actually be more of a factor playing as, as counterintuitive as that might sound. I just think that he, he can, he can be better on both. I, I think Rutger, Michael demands so much defensively out of kids yeah. that it becomes hard. I think to, play 30 something minutes and then go out and score too. Um, and the more depth you guys have, the better it will be for Noah, because um, I think he will be more active on both ends. If he's not playing 35, 36 minutes as uh, he had to at times, particularly uh, in the 2020, 2021, 2022 season. So last year, um, but yeah. Well, that yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that because uh, you know I, I wanted to know about him on the defensive end. I know it's not his strong suit, but he does seem like you know with his quickness and um, that that it could be pretty disruptive at times uh, in terms of steals, uh, which obviously would fit into kind of Rutgers' aggressive style and uh, pressuring the ball. And I, I was curious what your thoughts are in terms of you know because I, I think also Pico yeah. probably is looking at it. Needs an offensive guy, but. I think he's very confident in his system and his, his scheme ability to be able to get the best out of Noah as a defender. So Noah had a really good rep as a defender in high school, if memory serves. He played at a powerhouse prep, uh, Woodstock Academy in Connecticut, um, and with, with like 11 D1 kids. So interestingly, there probably played fewer minutes than he did at UMass. They were, they were loaded. Um, team had like Trey Mitchell, who's now at West Virginia and also was at Texas and was at UMass, had Ronnie DeGray, who's at UMass in Missouri, had 
um, just just a ton of dudes. And um, I recall that he was really pretty re- highly regarded defensively coming out of high school. I don't re- I don't he was a bit injured at Wichita State in year one, so I don't quite remember there. But I he is more than capable of being a not just a solid defender, but a good defender. I think at times he didn't. I think he he wasn't he didn't stand out defensively at UMass, and I attribute that in part to the the amount of minutes he was getting. I just think what was being asked of him offensively made it such that he was not quite as relentless on the defensive end. But he can pressure the hell out of the ball, um, and he he can jump the passing lane, get steals. He's he's he can be very active. Look, I he's small and. You know, there's been some durability issues over the years, and if you're if you've got a six four, um, you know six four six five wingman who's backing him into the post, like that's that's going to be challenging at times, right? But I I don't I would not in any in any way describe him as a defensive liability. You know, he his it's not like he stands out as a poor defender. I just would say offensive. You know his offensive game is where his strengths lie yeah it's almost like a consistency thing where if if the load is a little bit lighter on offense he could pick some up on on defense yeah i also think look like Pykele's gonna push him you know in terms of that end of the floor and from what i understand about Pykele's and his system is like you're not gonna see as much of the floor if you don't get it done on that end so and noah's eternally coachable and i think he will um, respond accordingly, right? I also think there's a way sometimes in which kids who are in their fifth year have been around the block a few times, and especially kids with the maturity and poise of a Noah, just kind of rise to that occasion. They find a way of rising to it. Does it mean he's going to be, you know, second team all, you know, second team all league deep defensive team? Probably not. But like, I don't think that you guys are going to be. Um, you know, like losing your minds over him, just like he's not going to be caught, you know, just not defending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how, mu- how much uh, did you know just about his search in terms of uh, once he entered the portal? Obviously, we, we knew it was reported he was supposed to visit Butler this coming weekend. Obviously, that's not happening. Uh, it seemed like a lot of high majors were, were inquiring about him. Um, w- w- I guess. What, what do you know about that part of the process and, and why do you kind of any insight on why you think Rutgers was ultimately where he decided to come? That's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I, I've, it's such a crazy time of year now and there's so many kids to track and, you know, I, I wasn't deeply immersed. I know B, I think BC and Providence were pretty actively engaged. Yeah. I think Butler at one point was pretty engaged I've heard, I think I maybe heard Creighton was thrown around. I, I, I heard a lot of places. You know how that goes, though. Um, and, uh, you know, those it's so fluid now with kids visiting and who's, you know, it, it can depend on so many things. Uh, I think, look, Rutgers has a lot to offer right now. Um, it's NIL situation. My understanding is it's it's very solid. I'm sure that played a role. I don't know that it was necessarily the determinative, you know, single deter- most determining factor, but I'm sure it, can, it can't hurt. Um, it's relatively close to his folks. He's a Massachusetts kid, so it's not, you know, going halfway across the country or whatever. 
it is, you know, they if, if in fact the Providence and BC things are to be believed, it, it's a it's a bit of a coup that they landed him given the proximity of where he's from. He's from the eastern part of Massachusetts, kind of uh, on the water, I think, and, you know, not terribly far from Providence or Boston. So that was that was good. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Noah is a mature kid with good support. And I think that um, he he probably weighed this in a very healthy way. And, um, you know, all the factors I think went into it. And I think, you know, he wants to, I genuinely think he wants to win and Rutgers has been in the tournament, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, I also think, you know, playing time will, is going to be there for him. Uh, so I, th- I think it just makes sense for any number of reasons. Um, I, I don't, I don't know all the specifics of exactly what informed his decision, but, um, you know, there's a lot to like about where the Rutgers program is right now. And Pikel, you know, has, has just a really good reputation in, around the sport. And I think Noah's not averse to hard coaching. He, he initially signed with Greg Marshall and, you know, he was, he was under Frank Martin. So I don't think he'll be phased by, um, the demands that, that Pikel puts on him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, with Peichel, I think there's a balance there. You know, I think he's he's demanding, but he, he he's very much, you know, cares about his players. I, I don't know if you saw the press conference when the season ended with their loss in the NIT, and he was up there with uh, Caleb McConnell and Paul Mulcahy, and it was, it was really remarkable in terms of just the emotion that came out and kind of the, you know, the end of the guard of that core group that turned the program around and, the emotion that Pykel displayed, which you really don't get to see a lot. And, um, you know, I think that that I, I actually wrote the next day that I felt like that was like the greatest recruiting pitch he could have made to anyone, because while he does have a reputation of, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, uh, defense first and, um, you know, uh, demanding on that end, um, I do think that he really treats them like people and, uh, Pike you know, was a gives- super real dude. I mean, I've been an admirer of his for some time and always thought he was criminally overlooked during his Stony Brook years because he couldn't win that league for a while. And so people weren't giving him a shot. But he was he's a terrific coach and he seems, yeah, like demanding and tough. But he he's a regular dude like he's not. I would I would describe him as devoid of the performative streak that you see in a lot of other coaches around the country, quite frankly. He doesn't. His, his shtick is not shtick, right? It's it's like this is his philosophy. This is how he does things. But it's not like he's not trying to show everyone how much he does or, you know, that he's the toughest guy in the room or whatever. You know, he's just a professional who who loves who loves hoops, you know, and I think I think that sound and, and, and likes kids. And, and I know that sounds yeah, like, <laughs> shouldn't you like basketball and shouldn't you like kids if you're a basketball coach? Well, I got to tell you, not everybody around the country is 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 that way. You guys are pretty lucky to have him. I know, you know, offensive woes at the end of last year, notwithstanding, um, if you take a look at where Rutgers is now compared to where it's been at any other point in the last three decades, I think pretty much anyone in the country would take would take those results under Peichel. Yeah, that's very well said in terms of kind of nailing her, his persona. And I, I laugh because, you know, people get tired of – I mean, he, he, he beats the – Big Ten is the best league in the country to death. 
But I, you know, people think it's like I, I think he just generally believes it, you know, and and he he doesn't say it as like a cover or anything. He just really believes it, and you know, people get tired of it. But it's uh, I just think it's it's just him. Yeah, I happen to believe that right now the Big East is the best league in the country, uh, but more power to to, to him for, for believing that. But yes, yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, all right, so uh, that that was really good insight on Noah. I think all Rutgers fans are excited about him, uh, you know, and I, I hope that, yeah, I, I think his potential, if he could stay healthy, if he can, you know, uh, kind of the chemistry works the way I think it can, I really think he's primed for a big season. Yeah, and I think fans will like him. He'll embrace the fans. He'll thrive in the rack when it's rocking. Noah loves a big moment and he was always super, um, you know, just a really good kid in terms of his appreciation for our fan base, which at the moment is not as robust as yours. Um, (laughs) You know, and, and always was like, I remember he was on a Twitter spaces with someone and they asked him about, you know, UMass Twitter and kind of, and he was like, look, you know, we're in New England and people have really high expectations. You know, we have a lot of pro teams that have won championships and I, I love that, you know, and he, he really took it in stride where I think sometimes you find one, you know, a couple of obnoxious comments here and there on the internet and kids all of a sudden kind of do the whole, like, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. And like, you know, not that there's not some truth in that at times, but you know, there's a little, there's a little shtick that sometimes kids will, well, dude, Noah, Noah, like, loved the moment, loved the passion, never, never, you know, resisted it, never complained about it. Um, so I, I think he he's going to be well-liked there. And, um, you know, you guys will just – he's just – he's he, – he, not his first rodeo. That's great insight. Really appreciate it. But before I let you go, I know you do a um, you have a show where you talk about the national coaching searches um, and you can give details on that. But I had to ask you before you left, uh, just in terms of your take on Carl Hobbs going to Georgia Tech, uh, longtime assistant under uh, Pike at Rutgers and who you foresee as potential uh, potential candidates moving forward uh, to replace him. And. One is nearby at Princeton, uh, Brett McConnell, who, if memory serves, his dad is a longtime Rutgers athletic staffer under Shiano. Um, don't yes. know the situation there intimately enough to know whether what Shiano and Peichel's staff's relationship is like or whatever. Um, but McConnell has a very good reputation, had a couple, uh, D- reportedly had a couple D1 offers that he spurned this offseason to stay at Princeton because he's obviously waiting for the next, you know, the, the right thing and the right the right move. Um, so he's highly regarded in coaching circles. I was a manager at Rutgers, you know, is is right down the road at Princeton. So I would imagine, you know, he'll he'll get his name will be thrown around. Uh I don't know. You know, it's it's like you always hear interesting stuff with Jersey names. You always you always hear like, you know, Kevin Boyle who's the, uh, the legendary high school coach, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know what his connection is to Rutgers. I'm just saying there's so many names in Jersey and I don't, I don't know that one of them would be called, 
you'd have to look at Peichel's networks. I mean, he's he it seems like he's had a pretty loyal stable of assistants there for a number of years. So this is a little bit um, of a new uh, dynamic for him to to nap. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's does he go back? Does he go to the old Yukon tree because he has connections there? Is there is there somebody? You know, I'm not sure. Do you have any names that you've heard? Yeah. So I mean. Fans definitely want Brett McConnell. Uh, he's interviewed in the past. Uh, I think he'd be a great fit, uh, not only for, you know, just in terms of uh, his his recruiting, but, you know, the fact that he really uh, offensively at Princeton was intimately involved in, in, in that. And, you know, Rutgers really does kind of need, I, I think, you know, a, a bit of a refresh in terms of vision there. Um offensively, but uh, yeah, you know, a few other names, I mean, other Pykel kind of connected names, actually Brian Dower, who, you know, is a great Jersey high school career, followed Jay Young to Fairfield and uh, started for them at Stony Brook. He's a name that's, I, I, I don't, I, I, I think he's going to want, he now? he's, he's working for Young at Fairfield. Oh. So, but, I, but I think he goes with more experience, but one name that's very intriguing that kind of caught me by surprise and Jerry Carino, who's the Dean of the, the New sure. Jersey and Rutgers basketball beat, uh, you know, reported yesterday, he actually mentioned Talik Brown, uh, former, uh, UConn, yep. who was at Iona, who was at Iona as an assistant under Patino and is now director of ops, I believe for Patino at St. John's, but you know, I find that intriguing simply because of the style in which Patino ran at Iona and will run at St. John's in terms of, you know, fast paced, uh, you know, Paykel has, you know, pressed quite a bit last year uh, at times um, a good amount unsuccessfully after Moat um, Mag went down. So I, I, that kind of was intriguing in terms of, you know, hiring. I think there's a lot of ways you can go. I think you can kind of not reinvent things, but uh, definitely kind of change direction a little bit. And I think so. If you if you want my honest opinion, like just who he should get, that like would be an interesting hire. I'm also happy to do yes. that. I have, I have yeah. As you're, so you're talking about offense, and I'm, I've been pretty open about this. He's he's actually come on my uh, podcast. I would strongly recommend it if you're a, if you're if you're a hoops junkie. And I don't say that about all my episodes because this one is actually sort of not UMass related, but. There was a guy in um, Western Massachusetts um, circles who uh, led the number one prep team in the country for a number of years, a school named Northfield Mount Hermon and turned it. They won a national title under him and they made the national tournament like 10 times, won a zillion games. Guy by the name of John Carroll and John Carroll. If you talk to anyone in the, coaching world you know in the same way that there's just you know i mean i, I wouldn't ever liken him to like a bobby Hur uh a, you know a bobby hurley or something but in the prep scene in new england which is highly regarded i'm sure you guys have had kids recruits come out of there john carroll is kind of the the gold standard and a, a year ago he left um the school was kind of it's, it seemed like they, they weren't super invested anymore in being known as just like a basketball factory. Cause it was actually a really, really highly regarded academic school. Um, and he, he sent 45 kids to the Ivy league in 15 years, but also kids to Texas and Davidson and Northwestern and Stanford and everywhere, basically UMass and, um, and uh, Kansas and North Carolina. And um, he is, he spent the last year consulting, working with a lot of college programs 
he's very well known in the college coaching world and, and a lot of places kind of pick his brain for offense, you know, for offensive tips. And I, I now through all this um, sort of coaching search stuff I've got into anytime his name comes up, um, you know, I talked to, you know, high major assistants and the like, and they're like, that guy should have a statue, like outside of any school that would hire him, they, they would end up building a statue for him. So he, <laughs> he, I'm pretty sure he has, like this year, he went to like 70 schools. I was kind of tracking it on Instagram a bit after he'd been on my show. He, I think he stopped by Rutgers and may have a exi- pre-existing relationship with Pykele. He does with most of these guys. But in term, his team scored like he was doing stuff offensively that was 10, 15 years ahead of its game. But, you know, And this is from people I know who um, you know, are at the NBA level now who describe that because he had a, a long – I actually – he had a long – kind of apprenticeship program there um, where like all the guys who were assistants under him at this tiny prep school are now, you know, prominent agents or NBA, you know, scouts or, or high level college assistants and the like. So he, it's not like he's unfamiliar at all in the basketball world. Um, and if you're looking for like a, someone to inject dynamic uh, offense into what you do, uh, that is honestly the number one name I give. He'll probably end up on a college staff if I had to guess within the next, you know, few weeks because he sort of took a year and was doing a lot of consulting. I think he, you know, uh, that's probably where he goes next. But it seems to me like just because you you got me thinking now, that's kind of been my favorite name um, in all this. Another name because now you got me thinking. Um, the guy. Uh, What's his name? Who was um, played at Duke, ran the New York Rens. Oh, Andy Borman, who is now a Penny Hardaway assistant at Memphis. Uh, he he is uh, he's terrific. He ran the New York Rens, the, the top, you know, arguably the top AU program in right. the New York, New York area. I don't know that he would leave Memphis. It seems like a pretty good gig, but he he went from the AAU world to there. Um, after being, you know, having played at Duke, I think he was a soccer player there too. So his name, I, I sometimes hear as, as very, very well regarded in these sorts of circles. So I don't know. I mean, now you're really, <laughs> see, this is the topic I'm so immersed in these days. So once, once my memory starts going, I'm like, oh, now I can give you 10 names. But uh, <laughs> if you want to be in- interesting and a little outside the box, um, Borman or Carroll would be really about as good as, as you're going to, as you're going to find. And I think that the interesting thing, and that's another Joe Mantegna at uh, Blair Academy in Jersey. He's, he's, I mean, he's run quite a powerhouse there for some time. I, again, I don't know. I, I think this, this whole world has given me access to believe that like high level prep coaches mm-hmm. um, are often when you kind of get into certain circles and people say like, who's really good, that's who they're talking about. Cause they really have had to coach at a high level and you're dealing with, you know, North Mount Herman was getting 12 division one kids every year who are po- many of whom are post-grad. So it's essentially like a group of college freshmen, right? Like it's not, it's not as if that's he's coaching, you know, um, hack and sack high or whatever, you know? Right. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. Now, now you got me really thinking I'll, if people hit my, mentions i'm happy to uh weigh in um but yeah well well, it's interesting you brought up carol and and i do i have known who he is uh simply because of 
what you were saying. I mean, his his run and and Rutgers does recruit New England prep quite a bit. Uh, and TJ Thompson, assistant on staff, you know, uh, ran the um, uh, it's the Blue Devils. I I can't remember the. I'm missing the full name, but he brought you know uh, he coached Geo Baker. Uh, AAU team in uh, New England, and um, they they've recruited the prep schools there for years. So, and, and Carl Hobbs actually was pretty connected too. So, the part of the, I think the the circle of of this search for Pikele, I I do I kind of have heard that you know the, the, it is a possibility that that a prep prep coach could be considered. So, I think John. Yeah, Taylor's and Pikele seems team. like has a little bit less of an ego and just knows that there are good good basketball minds everywhere and it seems yes. also like you guys have a really dynamic 2024 class kind of already coming in so maybe at least in the short term it's not as much about just recruiting you know um but it's mm-hmm. also about you know re- revamping that offense a bit um yeah now that you've got me thinking i'm at borman i don't yeah borman or carol carol's yeah if you're talking prep like that's that's the guy the the guy at um Putnam science is really good too, but he seems like they've just really got to go in there. And I don't, I don't know that he's. What about uh, Brewster? Uh, Jason Smith at Brewster is, is, is outstanding. Terrific. I mean, they're almost, it's funny, you know, they're so good. I mean, this has no knock to Jason, but they're, they're the talent they get up there is so preposterously good. Like just to give you context, (laughs) That kid I talked about earlier, Javon Garcia, in the um, who was Noah's running mate and sort of started as a freshman at UMass, he was like the eighth man on a Brewster team that had, I'm pretty sure, four or five kids in the top 100. That um, included the late Terrence Clark, who who died um, tragically in a car accident, was like went yes. to Kentucky. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, Mashburn, the Jamal Mashburn kid at Minnesota. I mean, like, so one of the, with Brewster, it's like truly no knock on Jason Smith. I think he can coach. They just get, you know, Donovan Mitchell went there and it's, it's like, it's so, the, the UMass has a kid coming this year, a recruit who's six eleven, who's on their B team. Like, and he's a scholarship <laughs> kid coming to the Atlantic 10 and that's no knock on the kid. It's just, they have like nine high major, you know, whatever. I don't know that, but you know, so Carol's old, Carol did it a little bit like Pykel, I think, where it's a little bit of more with less still. You know, obviously Rutgers has grown, and I think that 2024 class marks kind of a – sounds like it marks a little bit of the ascendance of, like, Rutgers into a new kind of tier now. Um, We're hoping. We're hoping. Yeah, but, like <laughs> – but the point is, like, you know, Carol was, like – like, Carol – like, Spike Albrecht played up at NMH for Carol, and that kid – people don't realize it, but like Spike Albrecht was like a D2 signee before Beeline showed up, you know, a month with, with a two games left in his senior year, you know? I mean, so like <laughs> he just finds kids like that. And like, that's where it was his bread and butter. So um, listen to the interview. And I did, if you're interested, cause like I I've done, you know, I've had at this point, I've had Calipari and Steve Lapis who used to coach at UMass and Frank Martin and everybody. And like, I don't think there's a more interesting basketball mind that I've had the fortune of interviewing than Carol. So, um, yeah, maybe that's, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, but there's a bunch of good names. So yeah, the prep scene and, and, and just, you know, other outside the box names is, is, is cer- certainly something to take a look at. 
That was uh, that was great. I really appreciate that. One name uh, before we go, uh, Dave Leto, uh, former you know head coach, is uh, definitely a you know long term relationship guy with Pykele. That you know I think he just uh, took a job. He actually just replaced Kevin Ali in the uh, overtime elite. Um, but I, oh, really? So, Interesting. Yeah. So that's a name I think could come back. Uh, you know, in this search, we'll see. But. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for all your insight. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your coaching podcast? Your, um, you know, I, I will definitely find this John Carroll episode for sure. Now you got me excited. But, uh, yeah, let everybody know where they can find you and on Twitter and all that. Uh, so Curry Hicks Sage on Twitter. That's a play on Curry Hicks Cage, which was where Dr. J played when he was at UMass. It's a great old barn on the campus, still exists uh, for the track team. Um and the podcast is the UMass Basketball Podcast, available wherever your podcasts can be found or wherever you get your podcasts. We haven't done one in a while because we've been doing a lot of Twitter Spaces episodes. And so those are kind of just under the hashtag uh, search season, S-Z-N, where we chronicle all things in the, in the college coaching search world. It's hard to explain why I just find it the most interesting thing in sports, the, the drama, the palace intrigue. It's just deeply fascinating the number of factors that, that are at play in searches and then sometimes if you you could find probably somewhere logged are spaces where it's just me um ranting recklessly and and irresponsibly after uh umass games as well those those are also out there but um <laughs> i appreciate you giving me some time and uh apologies for uh for excessive length that that tends to be my achilles heel so thanks for bearing with me <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like it was meant to be for us to finally uh, talk. We've uh, followed each other on Twitter for a while, and uh, I feel like almost kind of the the, the likeness of each other at our, our respective schools. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, all your insight. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk next year uh, during the season when uh, Noah hopefully is uh, a key part to Rutgers uh, going back to the in-state tournament. Yeah, and these days I know it's not easy to get a ticket out at the rack. So if um, if uh, if anybody has extras, then I'll I'll buy them off you, and I'll come out on on NJ Transit for uh for a game. <laughs> um, I, we didn't even talk, by the way, about the fact that Noah hit a buzzer beater against Rutgers last season, two seasons ago. Well, well that might have been strategic on my part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but yes, uh, it is it, it is funny how full circle and. Uh, you know, he played great in that game, obviously. So, um, but yeah, that buzzer beater was unbelievable. And he's had a few in his career, correct? Uh, yeah, he had a spectacular one this past season in a uh, in the second round of a, of a multi-team uh, non-conference tournament down in Myrtle Beach. That was just an absolute stunner to beat Murray State. Um, Noah hits big shots. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He's a, he, he relishes the moment and it'll be fun to follow him at Rutgers because I do follow you guys closer than almost any other program just because of proximity to New York, New York and I, I like the Rutgers Twitter folks. Uh, well, the, yeah, I, I feel like he's got uh, – There's, I'm hoping for the parallel uh, with, with UConn uh, in terms of when they went out and got Tristan Newton who had like – I think he scored like 25 or 30 points against them a couple of years ago. And then they went out and brought him in and uh, he obviously was huge for them this year. So – I'm hoping for some type of parallel with Noah. That's that's high hopes. I mean, given that they won a national title, but I do think Noah's <laughs> going to be a really good contributor there. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk during the season.
All right. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one.